Man, it's really good to be back with you. I appreciate Nick giving me the opportunity to come here. We were talking this week, and um, he told me that he tends to go long, so I told him, of course, I have to outdo him. So I hope you guys are in for a show, slash brought water, little snacks and stuff, because he told me the longest he's ever gone, about an hour and a half. Is that right? Well, I'm going to try to hit two hours today. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to do that to you. That's just holding people captive. Um, but I, I am glad to be here with you guys. I, I love this church. Me and my wife really, really, really love this church, actually. So um, we're super happy to be here. Um, <clears throat> I want to be in the book of Mark today, Mark chapter 5. And I've been doing a lot of thinking and pondering as I've been reading through Scripture. And I just keep getting amazed at all the things that God can do. And I just think in my mind, only God could do that. Only God could set those people free from Egypt, or only God could um, continually save people, as I've been going through the book of Judges, continually save people from their wretchedness, as immediately after saving them, the next line in the scriptures, and then the people started to do right what was in their own eyes, right? Like, only, only doing what was right how they thought it was right, not what the Lord said, and just turning their back on the Lord. And then I started thinking about, look at all the things Christ did. Only Christ could do some of these things. And so that's the title of the sermon today is things only Jesus can do. And I want to talk about the demoniac. So we'll be in verses one through 20. Um, I also wanted to take some time to recognize that today is Memorial Day. And I want to recognize that on two, two fronts. Number one, if you're in the service and you've ever lost anybody, our hearts go out to you because we know today is a heavy day for you or tomorrow actually. Um, and so our hearts go to you, and we will be praying for you. If, if there's anything that we can do for you, um, please see us after the service. Uh, the elders are here, um, and they can, they can talk with you. And then the other thing that I wanted to bring to our attention on this Memorial Day is that the event that happened in Texas with those children. Um, and that, that's just a tragedy. Um, and so that's, that's hard for us as Americans to, to think about and to see our children go through and or, or see children go through and just be be in prayer for those moms and those dads in that community, those first responders, the government, the whole entire shebang from the, the little town of Uvalde, Texas, all the way up to, to the president of the United States. They need our prayers. And I see in scripture that we should be praying for the leaders of this nation. They might not be who you voted for or what you want or what you're happy with, but they need our prayers. They need our prayers. And we should be praying that the Lord would save our leadership and that he would turn our country back to him. And so let's be in prayer for them. And, and again, for the veterans here today um, and for, the, for those especially that have lost someone uh, in the line of service and first responders as well. I don't want to forget them, the brothers that serve our communities. We, we, our hearts go out to you today. So Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20, I'm going to read it, and then I'll, I'll break it down for you guys. <clears throat> then they came to the other side of the sea, into the region of Genesaris. And when he got out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one was able to bind him any more, even with a chain, because he had often been abound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been torn apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. 
and constantly night and day among the tombs in the mountains. He was screaming and gnashing, I'm sorry, and gashing himself with stones. And seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and bowed down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What do I have to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I implore you, God, or I implore you by God, do not torment me. For he had been saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And he was asking him, what is your name? And he said to him, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he began pleading with him earnestly not to send them out to the region. Now there was a large herd of swine feeding nearby on the mountain. And the demons pleaded with him saying, send us into the swine so that we may enter them. And Jesus gave them permission and coming out of the unclean spirits, entered the swine and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea, about 2,000 of them, and they were drowned in the sea. And the herdsmen ran away and reported in the city, in the countryside. And the people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and observed that the demon-possessed man sitting clothed And in his right mind, the very man who had the legion, and they became frightened. And those who had seen it recounted to to them how this had happened to the demon-possessed man, and all about the swine. And they began to plead with him to leave their region. And as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed was pleading with him that he might accompany him. And he did not let him, but he said to him, Go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. And he went away and began to preach in the Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was marveling. This is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. And I I think, you know, I, I don't really realize it, but I... I really relate to this story, and I know some of you were able to hear my testimony in that, man, I, I felt like that guy at one point in my life, and I know I'm not the only one, right? I know all of us in, in, in here, prior to salvation, if you can think back to a time um, <clears throat> that you could say, yeah, I felt hopeless before salvation. I felt like there was no way out of the horrible situations that I was in. I felt like <clears throat> hurting myself. I felt like everything was spinning out of control and that the plane was going to crash and there was nobody to save me. And so I want to, I want to just break this down for you into, into a few easy to understand because I'm a super simple guy. I was a Marine. And so I don't know if you guys know anything about Marines, but we're the least intelligent, uh, of the services. So they say anyways, I don't know if that's true or not, but I'll own it for them because, you know, I'm trying to be a nice guy. Uh, but everybody does need heroes, right? So the, the Marine Corps provides that for the other services. Um, <laughs> so, so, but I, I like to keep things simple. I, you know, I, I just think it's easier that way. And so I want to start with the explanation in verses 1 through 5. We see an explanation of what's going on. And so we see the desperation, right? This man immediately comes to see Jesus. And why do you think he immediately came to see Jesus? It wasn't because... He was excited. It was because he was probably confused. The Bible doesn't put it in there, but if we read down further in there, right, we see that he's all alone. People have put him out there to be by himself. They can't handle him. And now all of a sudden somebody shows up on the shore. So he runs up to Jesus immediately because he's surprised that somebody's coming to visit, right? Because this guy's used to being all by himself. And he's also desperate to get fixed, to get healed, to get relief, to, to see hope, 
And then we see the defamation. The demons were in this man and they were trying to defile the image of God. This man was riddled with demons. We're going to get into it later, but a legion of demons. That's a lot of people. How many people here are familiar with the word legion and what it means? The legion, that's 6,000 guys. That's 6,000 soldiers in a Roman army. That's two battalions in today's military. The army, and uh, well, the army's a little bit bigger, but in the Marine Corps, it's, it's about two battalions, maybe a little bit more. And because he was riddled with demons, because nobody knew how to deal with them, again, this man is all by himself. They treated him like he was crazy. They chained him up like a rabid dog, and they put him out there to be all alone by himself. The demons were defiling. This, they were attempting to defile this image of God. And then we see the damnation. He was left alone and exiled, put out there to rot by himself, nobody caring if he lived or died, and they just left him there because it was too much for them to deal with. And then we move on and we see the exchange, right? The exchange of communication between this man and the demons and Christ. And in verses 6 and 7, I want to read those again. He says, And seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and bowed down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What do I have to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High? I implore you by God, do not torment me. Those are the demons. That's the legion speaking to Jesus. He, they know who he is. Notice that they uh, address him as Jesus, Son of the Most High. They know who he is. They know what they're up against. They are not stupid creatures. But they know they're no match for the Son of God. Why do we know that? Because they implore Jesus not to torment him. So there's a limitation that these demons have, right? Don't, don't torment us. Don't destroy us. Don't get rid of us. But they know it's a losing battle. They know it's a losing battle. The demons, by wanting to stick around, imploring God not to get rid of them and, and, and keeping them there, they start to show their intent. And we know that as we go later on into the, into the passage, we see that the man was gnashing and cut, or gashing and cutting himself. He was breaking chains. He was throwing fits of rage and anger. This man wanted to die because there was no relief for him in what he was going through. None. Nobody could get rid of those demons. And so we see the limitations. Because the, the demons, they couldn't get him. They could not get him to commit suicide. And why is that? Because God had a plan for this man. Because he was going to have an encounter with Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ was going to change this man's life forever. And I know all of us can testify to that, right? We've had an encounter with the risen Savior. It's not just this magic prayer that you say that saves us, right? It's not just reading these special sacred words in this Bible that save us. It's hearing the word. It's having an encounter with Christ. It's knowing how desperately we need a Savior 
And in that moment of desperation and in that moment of clarity, when we realize I need a savior and we surrender and we respond appropriately to the, to the, to the gospel being shared with us in repentance and belief, that is where we find our relief. That is when the burdens are lifted. That is when our lives are changed. And then we continue on and we see that there's a limitation that these demons had, but we also see that there was a liberation, right? In verses 8, and eight 9, and 10, Jesus tells these demons, he says, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And he asks him what his name is. And he says, my name is Legion, for we are many. Again, a legion is six. It's a contingency of 6,000 Roman soldiers. 6,000 demons inside this man wreaking havoc. No wonder nobody could take care of it. No wonder they were afraid of him. No wonder they wanted to lock him up and throw away the key and put him in this place. And they didn't care if the chains were broken as long as he couldn't get to them. Have you done that to anybody in your life? that you didn't know how to help, that you didn't know how to deal with? Have, has somebody done that to you? I know that there was a time in my life that I remember going and, and, and finally just even, even before salvation asking, I need help. I'm not right. My mind isn't focusing right. I'm not thinking on the things that I used to think about. All I can think about is dying. All I can think about is the pain and the suffering. And all I can think about is just misery. Help me. And I had certain individuals and doctors that told me, you're broken. This is the new you, and you have to learn how to live in this new you, in this new world. And I thought that was true. Who wouldn't, right? A doctor, somebody who has way more education than this knuckle dragon marine. And they hand you a bag of pills, and they tell you everything. That's how you do it. This is how you will learn to focus and be right in your new world, in your new brokenness. As if healing somebody to keep them broken would make anything better. That's where this man's at. And then we see the liquidation. The liquidation or the getting rid of. And he says, Now there was a large crowd of swine feeding nearby on the mountain, and the demons pleaded with him, saying, Send us into the swine so that we may enter them. And Jesus gave them permission. Jesus allowed the demons to enter the pig, then to enter the pigs to show, sorry, to show beyond any doubt that their intentions were to destroy the host of of that man, that that, that demoniac. And he gave them permission to go into the pigs because he wasn't going to allow them to destroy this man, because he had plans for this man, because he was going to save this man. How awesome is that? That these demons set out to destroy an image bearer of God. Somebody created in the image of God. And God said, no, not today, Satan. Today I choose to save this man. To show my glory. To show the world that I can do what they cannot And in this instance, God was doing it through his son, the person who came to save all of us who would believe and repent, to save all of us who would surrender to 
the Savior. I just think it's awesome. In the midst of this man's just utter hopelessness, Christ comes at the right time, in the right moment, being the right person for the job. And then the next thing I want to talk about, verses 14 to 17, we see the expression. And so now in, in verses 14 and 15a, we see that, uh, and the herdsmen ran away and reported it in the city and the countryside. What, what some of these people just saw, this, this man comes out of nowhere. They don't know who he is. He casts out 6,000 demons into these pigs. These pigs jump off the cliff to their death. And these people are like, what the heck just happened? I, I'm going to tell everybody else in, in, the, in the neighborhood who didn't see this. This is, this is insane. How? Who? Why? Where? Could you imagine seeing that today, right now in our, in our time? Man, we would all, well, hopefully not us in this room, right? But America or, or, the, or the world, if they saw somebody do something of such magnitude, they would instantly want to follow this guy around, would they not? I know I might. If I didn't know who the true Savior was, I might be enamored enough to be like, whoa, this dude means business. And then the people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and observed the demon-possessed man sitting down clothed in his right mind, the very man who had the legion, and they became frightened. So these people show up and they see this man and he is now clothed, calm, and cognizant. He's not freaking out. He's not trying to cut himself. He's not trying to kill himself. He's not screaming and yelling out of torment. He's not breaking chains. He's cleaned up. He's clothed. He's able to know who people are. And he's sitting there calmly relaxing. And then the, it says the people were afraid. Why do you think they were afraid? Probably because they don't realize that this is the Son of God and that this man is here to save, but they think maybe this man is some kind of witch doctor or some kind of whoever gets rid of evil things, and so maybe his evil is even more than what these demons had. Or it could also be because they didn't understand somebody with that kind of authority. That's where I think they are. That's, that's where I stand. I stand that those people were afraid because they saw the authority of the true God, Son of God and that they weren't ready and prepared to see that magnitude of power. And so then they were made aware of what happened to the pigs, right? Hey, man, all your pigs, they jumped off the cliff. And so there was apprehension. There was apprehension. And those who had seen it recounted to them how this had happened, verse 16, to the demon-possessed man and all about the swine. And then they began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. They were afraid for two reasons, because the means of their making, another two reasons, because the reasons and the way they were making money was in these pigs. They were feeding themselves, they were selling them and making money, and Jesus just put demons in them and they jumped off a cliff. So now they don't have money, right? I think we can all kind of relate to the money, to the money squeeze right now, right? Gas is 
I don't even know how much it is these days, $100 a gallon, whatever the case, right? It's, it's expensive. Meat is expensive. Lumber is expensive. And it's not going to get any better for a while. We're in an economic crisis. And again, they were afraid of the authority that Christ had. And then there was aggravation, right? The aggravation of this whole thing. Man, you just, you just exhibited this power and you just caused these demons to jump into this pigs. And now our pigs and our livelihood, our way of making money and providing for our families committed suicide themselves and jumped off the cliff. We need you to go, man. Notice that they ask him to leave and they aren't even thinking about what Jesus just did. Because that's not what they're concerned about. They're not concerned that Jesus can save. They're concerned that Jesus took from them. They're concerned with, we don't want nothing to do with somebody with that kind of authority. In the last little section from verses 18 to 20, and I kind of want to camp out here for a little bit, there was an expectation. The expectation. And I want you guys to understand that both Jesus and the demoniac have an expectation. The demoniac is grateful. And how does he show his gratefulness? In verse 18, And as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed was pleading with him that he might accompany him. Jesus, thank you for what you did for me. I am ready to leave everything behind and forsake everything here. I have nothing anyways, by the way. But I don't care. I'll leave my home country, my people, everything so that I can go with you and be in your presence because you healed me and I know you are the son of God. I know you can do great things. I know my life is different. You've changed me. And then Jesus' expectation, he did not let, verse 19, and he did not let him, but he said to him, go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. I know maybe at the beginning of this you're thinking, well, how is Jesus going to use this guy after he heals him and after he kills these demons and he, he saves this man? Not just from the demons, but he saves his, his eternal soul. This is how. He tells him, no, you're not going to come with me. I want you to go back out. I want you to tell everybody what I did for you. And I want you to make known that the Son of Man is real. He's legit. He can heal. He can save. This man had literally experienced 2 Corinthians 5.17. Behold, everyone, all those in Christ Jesus, the new has come, the old is gone. You are a new creation. The old is gone. The demon-possessed life that ruined his life, it's gone. The new life in Christ as a new believer, as somebody who has hope and peace and comfort and joy, that life is here now. This man experienced that freedom. And I know we have too. I know that we can claim that promise in 2 Corinthians 5.17 every single day when we wake up. That's just not a one and done at salvation, brothers and sisters. In the midst of this economic crisis, the old is gone, the new has come. 
the parents of those children in Uvalde, Texas, that believe in Christ and know the truths of Christ and the devastating loss of their child. The old is gone and the new has come. You are a new creation. We aren't defined by what happened in the past. We're defined by a Savior. We're not defined by who we are. We're defined by whose we are. We belong to Christ. We're new creations every single day. And even if the people wanted to get rid of Jesus because they were scared of his authority and they were angry at him for casting the pigs off the thing, the man wanted Jesus around. The man wanted to be in the presence of the Savior. Let me ask you guys a question. Did you give up everything to follow Christ after you experienced him at salvation? Or are you still half in and half out? Are you what the Bible calls lukewarm? I don't know the answer to that question for you. I only know the answer to that question for me. And man, I would be a straight up liar if I told you I was all in from the minute it happened. I know it takes time. But are you all in every day? Are you all in for Christ? Or do you have half a foot in the world, half of yourself in the world, and the other half of yourself trying to be in Christ? You can't serve two masters, brothers and sisters. You can't do it. Because what does the Bible tell us? The Bible says that you'll either love one or hate the other, or you'll serve one faithfully and you'll despise the other. Christ opens the man's heart and his eyes to a simple fact. He said he needed to, and this is coming from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. He wanted him to go out and proclaim the excellencies of him who had called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so even though those people didn't want Jesus around, Jesus, by telling the man to go and share and proclaim his excellencies and share the gospel with these people, Jesus shows that he had an inclination for the people. His inclination was for the people. He had a heart for these people. <clears throat> Here's an interesting fact that uh, another pastor's, uh, I listened to this sermon a few years back as, as the church I was uh, belonged to was going through Mark, and he, and he pointed out this simple truth. If we go to Mark chapter 7, verse 31 real fast, Mark seven thirty one, we see this. And again, he went out from the region of Tyre and came through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee within the region of the Decapolis. In this story that we read today, Verse 20, and he went away and he began to preach in the Decapolis. And then Mark chapter 8, verses 1 through 13, Jesus is still in the Decapolis and he feeds 4,000 people because they're there to hear what? The preaching of Jesus. They're there to see the good news. They're there to hear the gospel. And who did Jesus use to go spread that word amongst the, the people in the Decapolis? The man who was riddled with demons and who had no hope and who was, as, as I like to call it, it's a military term, broke, busted, and disgusted. He had nothing. But he had an encounter with the risen Savior. 
at that point, Jesus hadn't even died, right? He had, a, he, had an, he had an encounter with Jesus Christ, the Savior, and he changed his life. And that man went and told as many people as he could. 4,000 people showed up to hear that truth. And then Jesus manifested himself again, right? He feeds 4,000 people with very little again. And then the last part of chapter 5. Those people that he shared it with, he says he went away and began to preach in the Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him, and everyone was marveling. These people had the proper response. They were marveling instead of being afraid. You tell me that he didn't go back and have some kind of interaction with somebody in some sort of a similar situation. Maybe they didn't have 6,000 demons in them, but maybe they were experiencing suffering, pain, depression, anxiety, hurt, economic pressure, social pressures, and they needed a savior. They needed relief. Imagine this man going home after being healed and just running through the Decapolis and on his way to his family, he's telling everybody what happened to him. Y'all remember me? Remember me? Broke, busted, and disgusted? Look at me. Clean, calm, and cognizant. And then he gets to his family and I could just imagine, and again, guys, I'm telling a story here, right? This, this, I don't see this in scripture, so I want to be clear on that. But in my mind, as a human, I see this man running to his yard and maybe his wife and his children are there and they see him coming. And I can imagine his children looking at their dad and running up and hugging him. I can imagine his wife crying out of joy and happiness. Maybe she had been praying for him. How many of you are praying for a loved one who is lost and has no hope, and is broken, and needs the same Savior that you know, and you just pray, and pray, and pray. How many parents out there are praying for that for their children? I am. That's a a daily prayer for me. I don't care how repetitive it is, until I die, or until it happens. Why? Because we know Christ can change people. We know Christ saves people. It's not me that's going to save my children. It's not you that's going to save your loved ones. It's Christ. So again, I'll ask you this question. Will you give up everything to follow Christ in light of salvation? Will you take the foot that straddles the line between living for Christ fully and living in the world and living for the world, will you take that foot back and pull it over and live strictly for Christ and go proclaim his excellencies and go and tell people what he's done for you? If you like the way this country is going right now, man, get up and walk on out. I, I would encourage you to because you don't need to be here. You don't, need, you don't need the help of Christ. But if you want to see a revival in this country and you want to see people turn their eyes to the Lord, then it starts with us, brothers and sisters. It starts with us going out and sharing the truths that we know with those people in this country that need Him the most. We are inundated with wretchedness in this world right now. 
I was talking to my wife on the way up here. We were reading something. She was reading it to me. And now it's the LGBTQTIAS plus two. It's going to get so long one day that we can't say it. And all I told her, I said, all of this just makes me think of not just that part of it, but it's it's that it's the it's the um, the morality of you don't need to be married to live together. The immorality of you don't need to be married to live together. You can just live together. Marriage is just a piece of paper. Hey, don't worry about your heroin addiction. Here's a safe room for you to come and do heroin in. That way, if you overdose, we're here and we can help you. That's a real thing in California, brothers and sisters. Google it. I can't believe it either. The wickedness that goes into a person who would walk into a school and shoot up 20 children or walk into a grocery store and shoot up 10 people in Buffalo, New York. And all I can think of is Romans 1 where it says that God turned them over to their abased minds. But how will they know? How will they know that there's hope? How will they know that there's a Savior? Because of us. Because we need to go out. We need to share Jesus with these people. Don't think that just because Christ saved you that you don't have an obligation to go share the gospel, brothers and sisters, because that is wrong. We need to share the gospel. That's how revival starts in this country. By us going out and showing what Jesus did in our lives. And here's the reason why. You can't argue the truth. You can't argue a testimony. You can't argue the fact that once I was a drunk piece of crap, jerk father, angry man, broken, and the Lord transformed my life. And all of you have a story. All of you have a testimony of what the Lord's brought you out of. All of you have your addictions that the Lord has taken from you. All of you have a reason to proclaim how great thou art. So four points just for consideration in closing. Number one, there is no condemnation in Christ. And I'm going to go to Romans chapter 8 for all four of these points. Brothers and sisters, if I could only have one chapter in the Bible for the rest of my life, if I was imprisoned or something like that, and they said, you can only have one chapter, it would be Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So there is no condemnation in Christ. What is condemnation? It's a judgment against. It's to judge worthy of punishment. It's the opposite of justification. If Christ died for us and his blood cleansed us, then how is it that other people or even worse, ourselves can condemn ourselves, right? We let other people condemn us. We, we believe the lies that Satan puts in our head to condemn ourselves, to keep us from going out and proclaiming and telling other people. Because in my head, I, I don't know what lies you guys hear, but here's a lie Robert hears. Robert, why are you telling your kids not to do A, B, and C when you did A, B, and C? Who do you think you are? You're a hypocrite. You have no right. Yeah, you're right, Satan. I don't have a right back then. But I have a right to now because I've encountered Christ. And because my kids need to hear that there's hope outside of what they're doing. 
and this, this condemnation that we don't have in Christ, it's for the past, it's for the present, and it's for the future. Brothers and sisters, we sin every single day, do we not? Amen? <laughs> right? We know that. And there's no sin that you can commit now that will take away what Christ has done for you. His blood washed you clean. When God looks at you, he looks at you justified, imputed righteousness, righteousness given from Christ to you so that when God looks at you, he sees you through the lens of his son Jesus when he looks down on you. Because we already know what he sees if we don't have that. That's in Isaiah 64, 6. He sees us as filthy rags. If you want to know what that means in the Hebrew, go look that up. I'll save that for, I won't say it out loud just because I know there's some young children in here today, but it's pretty gross. I encourage you to go look that up. I encourage you to go see what we are without Christ. But we have that in Christ for those of us who believe. And so there is no condemnation. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. What an awesome thing. Just that in itself. You don't even have to have an ugly testimony. Just that in itself. Hey man, let me tell you about Jesus. He saved me from all my sins. He took on sin so that I could be seen as righteous. He punched my card into eternal life with God the Father. Number two, there's no compromise with Christ. Romans 8, 5 through 8. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh are not able to please God. No compromise. There is no compromising with Christ. You're either all in or you're all out. He's either Lord of all or he's Lord of none. You either live by the Spirit or die by the flesh. Matthew 6, 24 says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. Living for the world, brothers and sisters, makes you an enemy to God. Don't be half in and half out. Don't be lukewarm. Don't be a Sunday-only Christian. Don't be a CEO. Who, who knows what a CEO is? Chris, <laughs> Christmas and Easter only. Don't do that. Be in the Word. Be in prayer. Be at church. Be in accountability. Be in fellowship. Live for Christ. Don't compromise. Don't give Satan an inch because when you leave the door open partly and there's a small crack, he will enter. And when he enters in, he's going to wreak havoc. He's going to kill you with the lies. If you struggle with addictions, if you struggle with depression, anxiety, all of those things, don't compromise what you have in Christ to isolate and pull away from everybody who can help you. Don't isolate yourself from Christ. I like to use this analogy. I catch myself at times thinking, 
man, I know I'm not living right right now and I have some things in my head that aren't Christ-like. I'm going to go hide in the corner like a kid when he's doing something wrong and I'm going to go over there and try to figure it out. And then when I'm done, I'll bring it back to God and I'll say, okay, I think I got it. And then when I know I don't have it, right, because the Lord is not going to leave me high and dry. I believe that. The Holy Spirit's with me as a believer even when I sin and the Holy Spirit reminds me and convicts me, nope, that's stupid. Go back and try it again. And so when I realize, nope, this isn't it, then I go back over there and I try to do it by myself again. Instead of what, brothers and sisters? Falling on my face at the cross and saying, God, I can't do it. Some of the hardest prayers that we pray are the prayers that we need to be praying. God, expose my heart. Show me the sin in my life that I can't see. You want to answer to prayer? I promise you that prayer will get answered really fast. I promise Parents, Father, I can't save my child. I love my child, but I know you love them more. Please save my child. I trust you and you alone. Don't compromise. Number three, there is only compliance with Christ. In Romans 8, starting at verse 12, So then, brothers, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the practices of the body, you will live. For as many as being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have rejected the spirit of ado- I'm sorry, you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. There's only compliance. And this is what compliance looks like. Here, verse 13. If you're living according to the flesh, you must die. But, that's my favorite word in the Bible, by the way, but. Because it's always followed by something amazing. It's always followed by the hardest truth that we could ever hear. Right? And it's always awesome. It's like getting punched in the chest and getting your heart restarted. Listen to what it says. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the practices of the body, you will live. How do you put sin to death? Let me paint a picture for you, brothers and sisters, and this is going to be very dramatic, but this is how serious putting death, sin to death is. You take sin out and you march it out to the center square. You put sin on its knees and you take out God's word and you put it to death with two shots to the back of his head. That's, that's an extreme illustration. I know that. But brothers and sisters, the, the alternative is, is hiding the sin in your heart, keeping on doing what you're doing and not telling anybody, and you must die. Or you can put it to death and you will live. And lastly, Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39. We all know this passage, at least I hope we do. Romans 8, 31 through 39, there is only conquering with Christ. I'm not going to read the whole passage, but I am going to read from verse 37 or uh, 35 down. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will affliction, turmoil, persecution, 
famine, nakedness, peril, or sword? Out of all those words that I just read, I bet you if I went one by one and I asked everyone to raise their hand, if you're in the midst of that right now, I bet you every hand in this church would go up. There would not be a single person in this place that wouldn't confess to one of these things going on in your life. Jump down to verse 37. But in these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. This is the Legacy Standard Bible. This is the only version of the Bible that uses that word overwhelmingly before conquer. And I love it. We overwhelmingly conquer these things in Christ Jesus. We don't just beat it like five to four in extra innings. No, we beat it like 63 to nothing in a football game. We destroy these things because of Christ. Not because of you, brothers and sisters. Don't get it twisted. Don't think that you're special and that you can do it by yourself. None of us in this room have that capability. But we have a Savior who can. We have a Savior who lives in us and through us. And because of that, we overwhelmingly conquer. That's so awesome. So awesome. For I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Brothers and sisters, we all have our, we all have our tr- struggles in life. We can all relate to the demoniac. We can all relate to being alone somewhere because nobody knows how to help us. Or we put ourselves in a place to be alone because we don't want anyone to help us because we're embarrassed to tell people that we're struggling, that we're addicted, that we're failing in our walk with Christ. We don't want to be judged. We fear what people would think of us. Praise God for the gospel. Praise God for Jesus Christ. Praise God for the Holy Spirit. Praise God for his word. I'm going to close out like this. If the, if the worship team wants to come up and, and get situated, they can. I'm going to close it out like this. Brothers and sisters, the gospel is real. And for those of you who have believed in the gospel and believed in Jesus Christ and confessed with your mouth that he is Lord and believed in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you've repented of your sins, you believe in him, you're saved. But don't let that be a one and done. The gospel is for every day of your life. You can preach the gospel to yourself every day. For those of you who are here, maybe visiting, maybe you're here and you go here and you just have never, ever, ever responded to the gospel, I want to plead with your hearts. I want you to think about life with and without Christ. And I want you to take this story that we read today, this narrative, and I want you to see that this man without Christ dies and spends eternity in hell. But because of Christ, this man will now spend eternity with Christ, with the Father, in his kingdom. And how does that happen? The Bible says that that we all are sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. But then in a couple chapters later in Romans, it says, but yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
Jesus told his disciples that he's the way, the life, and the truth. And that only we could only get through the Father through him. If you don't know Jesus as Savior, I would encourage you to think about your need for a Savior. I would encourage you to think about what it looks like in your life right now without this great truth that I've stood here and proclaimed today that a majority of us in this room believe and hold tightly and dearly to. I would pray that the Spirit change your heart right now from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh so that you could see and realize a Savior is what you need. A Savior is what we who already believe need every day. So let me close in prayer. Father, thank you for this day. Lord, thank you for this church. Thank you for your word, which we can read and proclaim in a nation that gives us that freedom, Lord. And I just pray that we wouldn't take that for granted. Lord, I pray for this nation. I pray for the leaders in this nation, that you would bless them with discernment and wisdom. Lord, I pray for this church and all the churches in this area in Collierville, all the churches in the state of Tennessee, all the churches in this nation to rise up, to go out, to proclaim your excellencies so that there would be a revival because people cannot refute the truth of a testimony. I pray that we would all have courage, Lord, to go out to share what your son Jesus has done in our lives. And I pray that when that happens, Lord, that you would save those who hear that hearts would be changed from stone to flesh, that people would surrender and bow a knee to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that they would no longer want to serve themselves or the world, that they would realize the futility of that. God, I pray for the people who are sitting here today that haven't confessed, that haven't bowed a knee, that haven't surrendered, that haven't responded to the gospel being proclaimed. And I pray that you would work on their hearts, Lord. I pray that you would draw them near to you. And I pray, Lord, that in all of this, that you would receive the glory and the praise and the honor because you are worthy of everything that we could have ever given you and so much more. God, we love you. We need you. And we praise you. And we say this in your name. Amen.